Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering six conversations from episode 43, our Career Week interviews with Agent Diagnostics CEO Rachel Zayas and Novo Nordisk International Vice President Michelle Long. My conversation with Michelle Long continues, shifting focus first to why she considers herself to have been naive about commercial life before she entered it, and then the traits and characteristics make an individual a good candidate to succeed and enjoy being in industry, or for that matter, characteristics that suggest an individual might not enjoy it so much or do as well. We each think we know a lot about the jobs we do, or at least I hope we do, but we know far less about other jobs we might find intriguing and valuable, and exactly what makes the people with whom we interact good at what they do. These interviews with Rachel Zayas and Michelle Long provide the kind of in-depth view into other career possibilities that most of us rarely encounter in everyday life. I'm not looking for a job in either of these situations, but I feel I learned a tremendous amount from both of them. I'm confident you will as well. So just sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. You said you were naive and that in academia, you don't teach your trainees about this kind of stuff. Scroll back three years. And what do you wish you were imparting to your trainees at that point in time based on what you know now? Michelle Long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even just a general overview of like what these different functions are, you know, within a pharma company, like what is what is medical affairs? What is research and early development? What do they do? What does it look like there if you work in regulatory affairs or, you know, I think my bias was that it's all commercial and that you have to have like a business degree in order to to make a splash and and to be um, seen as valuable. But now I see I mean, I I jokingly call it Nova Nordisk University. I mean, it is as rich a research environment that I have ever been in and I could ever dream of being in. I had no idea that that was the case before, you know, three years ago, for sure. So I wish there was more opportunities. I mean, some companies actually have these opportunities where you can, you know, do these uh, sort of externship rotations. And I, I really wish I would have done it. Although, I mean, I wouldn't go back at all on my transition because I do think, you know, having the solid base in academia was essential to, to my success. So I'm glad things worked out the way that they did, but I think it would have helped me be less nervous about making this change had I known more. That's interesting. I listened to you say that and the metaphor that came to mind was scuba diving. Do you dive? I snorkel. Okay. This is a little different. If, <laughs> if you, if, I think, maybe not. If you scuba dive and you're out in the ocean on a choppy day and you come up, then the water will wash over you and you will be underwater again and then you'll come up. And if you're underwater, looking up, looking straight up, which I don't think you can do very much when you're snorkeling, uh, or not certainly not as much, you realize that when you're underwater, the surface is virtually a reflection or refraction, and you have no clue of what's going on in the air. And then when you're up in the air and you look down, you can see pattern, you can see things in the water. You're describing academia in a way that feels to me like being right under the surface and not having any clue of what's on the other side. Yeah, absolutely, right? I've interacted, I mean, I had industry grants, I had a lots of interactions with industry, but then it was, I really didn't understand how it worked. It also reminds me of the first day of medical school where the dean comes in and says, you know, congratulations, you've just made a huge investment in a career that you have no idea about. And and that's also how I felt when I took this job, because I said, I'm doing this. You know, I had to tell all my colleagues and explain what I was doing. But even then I was like, I think it's this. Like, I, I still didn't even have much of a clue as to what I was doing. And people were some people who knew a little bit more than I did were saying, 
you know, well, it sounds like you're in this part of the company. And I'm like, maybe like I, I really didn't even know, which is sort of funny looking back. It was a similar sort of leap of faith that I took. What is it that would make one person in academia a really good candidate to go into commercial and be successful and another one not so much? What, what would be the differences between those two people or their two perspectives? I think that it is challenging if you are really driven by seeing patients. That's what makes you happy as your primary uh, thing that really gets you up every day. You're not going to be able to do that if you're in industry to the same extent that you did before. Now, you know, for me personally, I was mostly pursuing a research career. I was 90% research funded. I had a half day clinic and a half day of procedures a week. So I, I had pretty minimal clinical time and I'm actually still maintain a half day uh, patient panel at the hospital. So I, I still do that now um, moving forward and you, and you can arrange that potentially. I mean, you have to figure it out, but that was an option for me and I really liked having that option. So that could be an issue. I think that if you're establishing yourself, it's better. For me, I was able to come into this position at a higher level, you know, because I was well established already in the in the field. And so that also helped. It is a very collaborative uh, team science type of environment. But that being said, you don't always get external credit for your ideas or contribution. So, you know, you may be spending all day, every day working on a project and you're at least at, this is how it is at a big pharma company. Like you're probably not going to be first author on that because there are other other people that will take that position. So you have to be, you know, okay with that. I think that can be really challenging, especially when a lot of your pride that you've taken in academics is is in your, in your publications. So that is something that, you know, you really need to consider, um, I think, when you're, when you're transitioning over as well. So what was the, what is the psychic reward that you get being in industry that replaces the psychic reward you got by being first author? The fact that you get to do so much so quickly. Now, my colleagues say, oh, you know, we don't move as fast as we, we want to. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> From my perspective, this is light speed. Um, so that to me makes up for all of it. You know, I like I talked to you about Caroline, you know, I, I had rich mentors and I saw how much joy they got out of my success. And I feel the same way now. It, it, it's almost like I have all these people around me that I'm, you know, it's almost that the whole therapy area I'm sort of mentoring. And if and if we're successful there, like I'm happy. Um, and, you know, that was something I needed to really reflect on. For me, it is extremely personally satisfying doing this kind of work every day and having and having these interactions uh, like I get to have now. So that was the easy one. Is, is there anything you had to give up in the transition that you miss? I guess uh, before, you know, I would write a lot of grants. I mean, that was a lot of what I was doing. And it's as much as it's painful, it's also very fun because you get to propose things that are really innovative. You still get to do that. I mean, I guess that's that's a bad example because I still get to do that, but it's a little bit less so. Now people bring us their ideas and I help together like shape it. And so I do sort of get that satisfaction. And then I've also been helping to drive some truly innovative things within our company. So I can't say that I'm missing that. It's hard. That's a hard one. I mean, and I still get to see patients that also 
was super important to me and also helped me like keep that identity and closeness. You know, I think a lot of people would probably say uh, the not seeing patients anymore. This is a big part of your training. And um, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to. And part of the reason why I'm able to is because I work for a European company and I'm based in the US. And so my afternoons tend to be very flexible. And so I can find the time to continue to, I actually have a volunteer uh, position at the hospital. I've kept my academic title and I still have some fellows and uh, PhD students that I mentor in that capacity. That might be more challenging if my company was based in the US, for example, and I have a full work week, then you'd have to really uh, negotiate for that. But again, this was a learning from from my, my mentor, Caroline Fox, who, who did just that. And she maintained her clinic in diabetes for, for many years uh, into her transition into industry. So it is possible um, to do that. First of all, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. This is, this is a picture people don't get to see very often. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a more typical tsunami episode, this one focusing on patient screening and women's health issues. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.